Listen, today's message is going to be about um, how to resolve conflict in marriage. And I know that um, we have lots of married folks here at this story. The story is about half married people and half not married people. And so I always kind of want to speak to non-married people when we talk about marriage, because I think it's natural to just check out of a marriage sermon if you're not married. But listen, if you're not married, you love someone who is, you care about people who are, and God's going to call you to minister to them when they're going through a tough time. And we're talking about getting through adversity in marriage, and this really matters to us, and, and we're going to be really blessed by this, uh, by this message this morning. Before we get there, I just want to do a little bit of internal housekeeping here. Um, if, you don't, if you don't know me, my name is Eric, and I'm the, the lead pastor here. If you're first-timer, um, what I'm about to say is not for first-timers, but y'all hang in there. People that call the story home, thank you. We have made incredible progress on Play Your Part 2021 um, since I, uh, I really gave you the, the hard sell last week and the, the guilt trip and all that. Um, we are in a much better place to, to get ready for 2021 with those pledge cards coming in. We're about 75% of the way there, I think. And all that does is it estimates uh, the giving that you plan on doing for the year ahead. It's not a legally binding contract or anything. It just helps us be good stewards as we plan and budget. And so thank you so much in advance to those of you who have, uh, have gotten those in or are getting those in today. If you're here in person, you can place your cards in the white boxes on the walls or online at thestory.church slash pledge. All right, enough housekeeping for now. I want to get to our very special guest speaker today. Listen, when the vice president of marriage ministries at Focus on the Family makes himself available to you for a marriage sermon that will bolster and strengthen marriages, especially in a year like 2020, you take him up on that offer. Greg Smalley um, comes to us all the way from Colorado Springs, Colorado. He was here all week this week, he and his wife, Erin, have four children, and Greg and Erin were our featured guest speakers at the launch event for Beloved, our new women's ministry. It was an incredible success, and I'm so excited about the future of Beloved, but Greg and Erin talked about marriage there, and his specialty, he's written 20 books on how to fight for your marriage, how to endure conflict, and how to actually grow through adversity in marriage, and so this is, a, I think, going to be a helpful message and a blessing to all of us. And so this morning, we have the great privilege of watching this sermon that he recorded on this stage earlier this week. So prepare your hearts now for a message on marriage from Greg Smalley, Vice President of Marriage Ministries at Focus on the Family. All right. Thanks, guys. Well, Eric, thank you so much. What an honor and privilege it is to be here. I'm so excited for this opportunity. As I begin, let, let, let's go again to, to God in, in prayer. Lord, we just commit this time to you. God, open our hearts, our minds to receiving your truth, your truth about relationships and how we can um, glorify you through how we treat people and how we deal with challenges, Lord, within relationships. And so, God, just speak through me. Lord, uh, we love you and thank you in your precious name. Amen. Well, today I want to talk about the dreaded word conflict. We all go through conflict. Doesn't matter if this is within a marriage relationship, a good friendship between our kids. All of us are going to have to, to deal with conflict. So here's where I want to begin. 
If you uh, turn to your Bibles, so pull that up through your Bible app, or if you actually have your Bible, go to 2 Timothy in the New Testament, 2 Timothy 2.23. So it's an interesting passage. The Apostle Paul gives some incredible advice. It says this, don't have anything to do with foolish and stupid arguments because you know that they produce quarrels. So what's interesting is that here the Apostle Paul is starting off with some qualifiers around arguments. He's not saying that all quarrels, all arguments are wrong, are bad. As a matter of fact, there's a big difference between unhealthy and healthy conflict. He's talking about arguments that can be stupid and foolish. And there's a big difference there. There's some arguments that are very productive. They can be very healthy. They can lead us to growth in our relationships, insight around who we are as an individual, insight around this other person that we're in an argument with. So understand, right now in this verse, he's talking about foolish and stupid arguments and how those lead to more unhealthy quarrels. So let me give you a picture of what a foolish and stupid argument like might look like, and that's out of my own relationship with my wife of almost 29 years, my wife, Erin. So one day, uh, my son, Garrison, and I are in the basement. It was during March Madness, so the part of the year to where there's college basketball, all kinds of games going on. We had spent the whole weekend watching game after game. And at some point, I think it was like Sunday evening, Sunday late night, Erin comes down into the basement and she says to our son, hey, I'm glad you and dad have been having fun all weekend, but just want to make sure that you've finished right your homework because I know you have something due tomorrow. And so Garrison, of course, goes, oh, I forgot. And, and so she goes, like, you, you need to go up right now and, and do that. Well, we're at the end of a, the, one of the most important games that we've been watching. And so I said, Aaron, hold, hold on. We're, we're almost done. I'll send him up. When, when we're finished and she looked at me like, are you being serious? Like, no, he needs to go now. He's got all this homework due. She's like, Garrison, you should have had this stuff done. This shouldn't be us having to tell you. We shouldn't be managing your life. This is really up to you. And I said to her, hey, hey, c- c- calm down. You're, you're, you're pretty tough on him right now. Picture in your mind every scary movie that you've watched or heard about in that moment to where the scary Monster kind of does this weird like turn of the slow head all the way around their body because that's what Aaron's look straight at me. And I knew in that moment that this was no longer an argument between my son and my wife. It was now an argument between my wife and me. And so she simply said, Garrison, you may go now upstairs and finish your homework. And I'm thinking, oh, good. And she goes, and you and I are going to talk. Ah, we proceeded to talk. And this talk lasted for minutes, turned into 10 minutes, turned into a half an hour. We were getting nowhere in our stupid and foolish quarrel. She got so frustrated at some point that she simply said this. She goes, you know what, Greg, it's late. I'm tired. I don't want to talk anymore. And she started to head up the stairs, stops, turns around and looks at me and goes, hey, and by the way, your mother, before we got married, warned me that this is how you would be during an argument. (laughs) What? I mean, we'd been married like 20 some years 
And I'm like, what? My mom warned you that this is how I'm going to be? And she just left. And there I was sitting there pondering her statement. And quite frankly, her statement hurt me, not, not because she was you know, disrespectful in any way. It wasn't that. What hurt me was the possibility that she was right. The possibility that the way that I have been handling conflict in our quarrels for 20-some years would have been very predictive even before we got married. And I sat there and kind of stewed on what she said. I even asked her later on, we were just getting ready for bed. And I said, I said, hey, can, can I ask you one thing? She's like, hey, I'm sorry. I shouldn't have said that. I said, no, 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 seriously. I said, has that really been your experience? Is that really how I show up every time we're in an argument? And she goes, do you really want to know? I was like, ah, there's my answer right there. I said, yes, I really want to know. And she goes, honestly, that's how I experienced you. She goes, Greg, you typically win these arguments because out of sheer attrition, you just wear me down. And that was it. And I was left to kind of ponder that reality within our marriage. And, and honestly, it, it, it bothered me. And, and I, I, I kind of took what she said to the Lord, which I've learned over almost 29 years of marriage is a great place. Instead of trying to work this out with her, first and foremost, I need to spend some time with my heavenly father and, and just try to figure out is what Aaron's saying, what, what, what's the truth in there? Because that, that's the father of truth. So I want to spend some time with the Lord. But you know, I prayed about it. I, I didn't have any big insights. And I love how the Lord works in my life. A um, couple of days later, as I was helping the kids get ready for school, I usually drop off in the morning. And so I'm kind of getting everything together, helping with lunches, whatever, feeding them. And we, we have like a little devotional. That's, and sometimes I can remember and we'll read a little devotional. I remembered this day. And so I, I took out the devotional, turned to that particular day. And here, seriously, here was the verse. It was from Proverbs 13.10. So this was in the New Living Translation. So Proverbs 13.10 says this, conflict is rooted in a prideful heart. It says conflict, pride leads to conflict. It's simple, four little words. Pride leads to conflict. And I remember as I read that thinking, huh, <laughs> I, wonder, I wonder if, pride has anything to do with what was going on between my wife and I. I wonder if pride has anything to do with what's happened apparently over my entire life. But I really started to pray about this idea. How, how might pride cause conflict in, in my relationships, especially my marriage? Well, let me, let me talk about the anatomy of a fight for a second. So when we have an argument, what's really going on? I think as things happen, as we offend each other, hurt each other, do something, don't do something, whatever, as we get into an argument, what happens to our heart is that our heart kind of shuts down. Think of, uh, I imagine here in the Houston area, you've got these little bugs called roly-poly bugs. You know, if you touch them, they, you know, roll up into a tight little bug or tight little ball. I think that's exactly what happens to our hearts when we get into conflict, when we start to have an argument, a quarrel of some sort. The reality is our heart at some point will probably close up. And when our 
cart closes, we start to produce things that aren't good for a relationship. A closed heart instantly manufactures selfishness, arrogance, judgment, exaggerated or faulty assumptions, stubbornness, self-importance, rigidity. I mean, these things, are our closed heart starts to produce these things, which is why when Paul was saying these stupid and, and foolish arguments, it starts to create that. But I tell you, the, the worst one that a closed heart produces is pride. Something about pride can be so destructive for our relationships, for us as individuals, because God absolutely hates pride. So as our heart begins, our closed heart begins to manufacture pride, here's what I think it does to the individual. When, when my heart is shut down and now pride is, is reigning, the issue like that little closed bug, I can't see beyond me. I've become very self-focused. I'm very aware of how I've been offended. I'm very aware of what Aaron is doing or a friend, someone, whoever it is, someone at work. I'm aware of what that person's doing that's bothering me, hurting me, frustrating me, causing me pain in some way. I become very self-focused as I'm sort of in my own little closedness. In any time that I'm thinking solely about me and I'm aware of everything about me and not anything to do with that other person, that's a dangerous place. It says in Psalms 10:4 that in his pride, the wicked man does not seek him. In all his thoughts, there is no room for God. So when my heart is closed, manufacturing pride, I'm so now aware of just me that there's oftentimes not room for God, much less my wife, her perspective, what's going on for her. I'm just so consumed. And if you need sort of a, an image of what this looks like, just look at the word pride. What's the exact middle letter in the word pride? I, it's about me. It's about what's going on for me. And just individually, when there's no room for God or anyone else, that's just, I'm relying all on me. And that's just a dangerous place to exist. Now, there's also a huge relational cost to pride. In James 4, 6, it says that God opposes the proud. So, I mean, just think about the significance, again, of what the Apostle Paul is warning us, that God opposes the proud. It's not that God just is disgusted when you show up with pride, he's actually opposing me in those moments that my heart is shut down. I'm thinking solely about me when pride is reigning. Not only is God, God doesn't want that from me, but he's actually in now opposition of me. Not only does God oppose the proud, but my wife, that other person is always going to oppose me. It's just going to create more and more conflict. I saw this and powerfully saw this on my honeymoon. It didn't take Aaron and I very long when we got married to get into some pretty major arguments on our honeymoon. So I don't know if you can beat that, but we fought majorly on our honeymoon when it's supposed to be happy and joyous and getting along perfectly. We, we had some friends that owned a place in Hawaii. We got to go there off a of freaking flyer mileage. We were in graduate school, had no money, but we got to go to Hawaii. I'd never been. I was very excited. I told Aaron that I'd seen all these Hawaiian pictures and it seemed like everybody found these gorgeous Hawaiian waterfalls and were jumping off and swimming around at the beautiful pool. 
next to the waterfall. And I said, that would be so meaningful to me if we could find a waterfall and play around. That's like a 10. That would just be so awesome. Can we do that? Yes, we can do that. Every day on our honeymoon went by and I'd say, hey, can we, can we find a waterfall? And Aaron would, would say, well, I, oh, well, that's important because I know you want to, but I was thinking we could do this the next day. Well, let's do this. We'll do that tomorrow. The very last day arrived and we still had not gone to find one of these cool Hawaiian waterfalls. And so I'm sort of lamenting, this is it. This is our last chance. And so sure enough, Aaron said, okay, let's, let's go do it. So we drove way in the middle of nowhere, found like way off in the distance. There's this gorgeous waterfall, parked the car, hiked. It was everything that I had expected. Gorgeous waterfall, spots that you could climb up and jump off. And so I go tearing off into the water and sort of aware that I don't hear the splashing behind me that means Aaron is joining me, following me. I turn around to find Aaron on the very edge of the water looking at something. Aaron, the water's perfect. Come on, don't worry. Let's get in. We Look, we only have a little bit of time. She kind of motions me to come over and she goes, look, 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 look what's here. She's pointing at this ancient, old, probably hundreds of years old sign. Take one guess what the sign read. Yes, no swimming. In marriage, there's really two types of people. There are those that follow rules and there are those that don't follow rules. And my precious wife is a rule follower, which means that I'm the rule breaker. I see signs and rules as suggestions, good, good, good ideas, a warning that I should heed and think about. And, and so if it said no swimming, there was no way I knew this there was going to be no way I was going to get her in the water. And this is it. I mean, this was our one shot before we had to leave. And so I did everything in my power to convince her that you needed to get in the water and it'd be okay. And I'm like, we're alone. Who's going to even enforce the no swimming sign? I said, it'll, it'll be okay. You know, we won't get thrown into jail. I mean, I thought we wouldn't for swimming. And I'm telling you, no matter what I said to her, I could not convince her to jump into the water. Well, that level of disappointment for me, because this was such an important expectation that I had formed, I got frustrated. I started arguing with her. She's arguing back. Boom, we ended up this big conflict to the point. Remember, this is my honeymoon that I said to her that if you, this is how you're going to be. And if you're not willing to do the one thing that I asked for, then this honeymoon is ruined for me. For those who haven't yet been on your honeymoon, I just encourage you to write that down of things not to say to your spouse on your honeymoon. Well, as you can imagine, you talk about closing someone's heart. Erin instantly shut down. She not only moved away from me, she starts heading back for the car. She's running. My wife ran track in college. She's super fast. I couldn't even catch up to her. I'm trying to apologize. And I was joking. Nothing. We ended up back to the car, totally disconnected, in complete conflict. She's hurt. I'm offended. I'm like, why are you so hurt? You're the one that messed the whole thing up, which I don't know, oddly didn't help the situation at all. 
Well, our last night in Hawaii was to celebrate our wonderful trip, and we were going to be at a luau. So although we weren't speaking to each other, somehow sign language, we got to this luau, huge place with all these people jammed in. We're at this little bench, kind of long table, just crammed in there together. She's still not talking to me. And I'm thinking, man, I got to do something here to... To, to get reconnected. I mean, this, this I could, even though I'd been married about a week, I knew that this wasn't bowing well for me. And so I was like, what do I do? And I remembered, I think our premarital counseling, the guys suggested that when she inevitably is going to be upset with you, don't try to say anything to her, but just be tender with her. He said something about tenderness can really help the situation out. So I remembered that. So I was like, okay, I could be tender. So I'm like, what does that literally look like? Crammed in together. She's not talking to me. And so the thing that came to my mind was, well, what if I just gently put my arm around her and just kind of just rubbed her shoulders just to show her that I'm, you know, I love her and I'm tender, I guess. So remember, we're just jammed in. So I kind of pried my arm out and just gently, just barely put it around her and just started to just slowly, gently tenderly rub her shoulder. And I'm telling you, it was like I wasn't even there. I mean, I got no reaction. I'm like, whoever this dude was that did premarital with us, he's a liar. This doesn't work. So again, I'm just, now I knew not to look at her because I figured that she would be, you know, that that probably wouldn't help. And so I'm just gently just rubbing her shoulder. And again, like nothing. She just won't interact. I don't know what to do. So I was just going to lean in just to say like, hey, you know, it's me. You know, I'm being tender. Like get with the program here. As I leaned in to say something to her, my eyes met the woman sitting next to her. And she was looking at me like she was horrified. And as I really looked, all of a sudden I realized that I'd had not been rubbing my wife's shoulder. Somehow, because we were so smushed in together, this woman's sh- like shoulder was where my wife should be. So the whole time I had been <laughs> touching this woman. And so, man, that's like strike two for me. I mean, what do you say to that? So after I apologized to my wife and the woman sitting next to her, we kind of started to, to patch things up. So if you think about what I did, not the touching of the other woman. That's not the point. But, but it always is going to take one person who, who sort of tries to, to reconnect. And in order to try to reconnect, it requires something. It's one word. It starts with an H. And that word itself is really the antidote to pride. It's the opposite of pride. And that's the word humility. Someone has to humble themselves and, and begin the process of, of reconciling the relationship in, in whatever way. Now, it might have been easy for you to be going, well, obviously it should have been you because look what you said to Aaron. I get it, but I was offended by Aaron because she wouldn't do the one thing that she promised me she would. So, I mean, we're both hurting, but it does take someone, right, to, to come back together. Here's what's interesting, okay? There's a, there's a verse in Philippians 2, 3. It says to do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. 
What's interesting is that in Philippians 2, 3, it's really laying out the big problem relationally with pride. Because pride manifests itself in a relationship by those two things. Something about selfish ambition or vain conceit. It's interesting. Selfish ambition is when you place self-interest ahead of what's good for your spouse. Remember, it's, it's all about me. I wanted to swim in the beautiful waterfall. That's what I wanted to do. Selfish ambition is when I place what I want ahead of, of what's best for us or what even Aaron wants. I love the Greek word for selfish means acting for one's own gain, regardless of the strife that it causes. So again, pride damages marriages, damages relationships, because one, pride is all about selfish ambition, but it's also about vain conceit. Vain conceit is when I believe that I am right. The Greek meaning, okay, I love this. Listen to this. The Greek meaning for that word or that phrase, vain conceit, means that it's an attitude that I'm always right, which is, I agree with that. I am always right. What I think, what I believe, how I see things. Yeah, in my mind, I'm right. I was right that no one was going to catch us swimming. I was right that that probably was an ancient sign that didn't apply to this moment in our time. I was right that you had promised that we were going to jump in the water and you were reneging on that. All that was right, but it's an attitude that, that I believe my right is better than, than your ideas or what you believe is right. So is, is pride is manifesting itself as vain conceit and selfish ambition. It's really that moment of humility. Someone has to humble themselves. Someone has to go, man, I choose you over being right. I choose you over getting my own way. And so again, as, as I began to humble myself in that moment, that Aaron and I were, were able to begin to work through that. Philippians 2.3, remember, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but rather, so it's saying, don't do that. Instead, do this. In humility, value others above yourself. When I choose humility over my way or being right, there's a way in which the message that that begins to send to my wife or to this other person is that, that I'm valuing you more than I, I'm valuing me in this moment. Now understand that, that I believe God has created us, all of us, with incredible value. We are like, I don't know, like a 10 carat diamond. That's, that's God placing that value. He says that I'm a, his treasured possession. Jesus says that I'm his glorious inheritance. Okay, that's God's choice to have placed that value in us enough to send his son to die for us on the cross. God placed that value. I'm just referring to this value. So it's not that I'm saying I'm not valuable, so I'm going to value Aaron more. It's recognizing that I'm that 10 carat diamond but I'm going to treat her like she's a 10.1 carat diamond. Romans 12.10 says that we should value others. We should outdo one another in showing honor. I mean, that, that is such a cool verse, Romans 12.10, that I should outdo 
Aaron in showing honor. That means to make her in that moment a little bit more valuable than me. I'm still valuable, but I want to treat her as the, the you're you're a 10.1 carat diamond. So in humility, value others above yourself. So what does this look like then within conflict? When we humble ourselves, how do we go from those foolish and stupid arguments that Paul's talking about to something that can be healthy, that can grow us, that, that can reconnect it? us that can treat our relationship like it's a doorway to intimacy. Conflict can be that if it begins with, with humility. So I think when I think about what this looks like then during actual conflict, humility shows up like I focus on you and give you my full attention. So I give you good eye contact. I'm patient. I seek to understand you before me being understood. I listen with my eyes, my ears, my open heart. I assume the best about you. Man, that's, that's powerful. Instead of trying to change you, I ask God to change me. That, is, that takes humility. How you feel matters regardless of whether or not that that makes sense is a very humble way to show up in conflict. That I treat you with gentleness, like in that moment when I put my arm around her but just make sure you're gently rubbing your spouse in that case and not some total stranger and that I forgive you. I mean, those, those, those are ways that humility will come out. That's what it will literally look like. Humility is a powerful thing. Your spouse, this other person may respond to you like God talks about in 1 Peter 5, 5. So listen to this verse. It says, clothe yourself all of you with humility towards one another. For God opposes the proud. Remember, God isn't opposing us and our spouse or that other person is opposing us. So God opposes the proud, but he gives his grace to the humble. God's amazing grace that he sent his son. He gave us this amazing gift of his son, even though we didn't deserve that. And in those moments, as I humble myself towards Aaron, doesn't mean that she'll do this, but my experience has been oftentimes her response, not her reaction. She's going to react to my pride, but usually her response to my humility is she, she does extend grace. Even sitting there as we began to talk, you know, in this crowded, you know, luau, you know, she, I, I loved as, as I humbled myself, as I apologized for what I said to her and how I showed up, I loved that, that, that she extended me grace. And she said, hey, you know what? I, I get that that was important to you. And I want you to know I'll make that up someday because we were leaving early the next morning. And you know what was cool? On our 15th wedding anniversary, again, friends let us use their place in Hawaii. And Aaron surprised me and said, I'm taking you for a drive. I was a little nervous that maybe I wasn't going to return, but she took me somewhere. Guess where she took me? To a waterfall. And together we got to jump off and play around. We had one of the best times. And she kept saying, this is to make up for what happened on our honeymoon. Our loved ones will often extend that grace when we show up with humility. Proverbs 29, 23 says, one's pride will bring him low. 
But he who is lowly in spirit, so he who is showing up with humility, will obtain honor. And again, it's, it's, it's never a guarantee. I don't humble myself so that Aaron then treats me in a particular way or this other person does. This is between me and the Lord, and the Lord wants me to show up with a humbled, open heart. What he's able to do through that heart within a relationship is amazing. That's what I can control. Instead of it being shut down and producing pride, my choice is to deal with me first, to get the log out of my own eye, as it says in Matthew. So then we can, Aaron and I, or this other person, we can begin to work whatever we need to work out. But again, the solution to conflict is an open heart. Two open hearts can solve anything, I'm telling you. That's what it takes. I can't do anything about Aaron's heart, whether it's opened or not, but I can show up with humility. I can influence. I can set a, an environment with my kids, with my wife, that they feel safe. When I'm humble, they feel safe. They're more likely than to open. I love this quote, and I'm going to end here. A brilliant mind is useless without a humbled heart. You make an impression with what you say, but you make an impact with what you do. And if we want to avoid those stupid and foolish arguments, all it requires is understanding that conflicts, closed hearts produce pride, Pride will always be opposed by your heavenly father as well as by that other person. The way out is to be humble, to humble our heart, to go to that place and watch what it does. It sets an incredible environment that we can now work through the conflict. Remember, a gentle answer turns away wrath. That humbleness produces that gentleness that produces a way different type of conversation. And I've seen in my own life that this can make such a big difference in how we deal with conflict. God, we are so grateful for your word, the truth that's within your word. Lord, thank you for the way that you're addressing conflict so that our relationships can benefit. You're teaching us what's really going on when we become prideful, that that vanity, Lord, that selfish ambition, that vain conceit, that's being produced will never get us relationally where you want us to be and where we need to be to have good relationships, Lord. So I pray, God, that in those moments that we are experiencing conflict, Lord, just just give us that vision. Let us see the, the, the big letter I in pride, I, me, what's going on for me, and I can do something about that, Lord. Thank you for the way that you meet us when we come to you and help you and, and help us Lord, settle into that humility. God, help us to be men and women with humbled hearts, Lord, because you can use a humbled heart, Lord, within our relationships and the other things that you want to accomplish, God. So just give us that vision, Lord. Teach us to do that well. It's in your precious name we pray. Amen.